What is happening, everyone, as we are finally at another pay-per-view fight week, UFC 273, along with Will Brewer. I'm Colby Daniels. We will give our picks for this pay-per-view. We've got two cards that we need to discuss because it's been a minute since we've done the podcast for various reasons. Will Brewer, it's good to see your face, my friend. How are you? Man, good, man. Good to see your face, too, brother. Uh, man, yeah, it's been a minute. There's been a lot that's happened in... Uh, and MMA over the past few weeks, man, the pay-per-view week. Let's get into it. Uh, I got to ask. I mean, I don't think you did anything big this weekend, did you? Pretty, pretty <laughs> low-key weekend? Yeah, yeah, pretty low-key weekend. I <laughs> uh, just uh, just happened to go to uh, to WrestleMania at, at AT&T Stadium, man. Nice. Uh, it was kind of a last-minute thing. Uh, I didn't think I was going to go. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And it was just like one of those, fuck it, let's go. And ended up going, man. Uh it was it was amazing. It was the, the two night thing. Uh, it kind of it, it beats the whole uh, six hours of, of of a show. But yeah, um, you know, the two nights I, I did get a little bit, but I kind of wish you would go back to just one because, you know, that's extra money that we're having to spend on tickets. You know what I'm saying? But right. uh, it, it was it was awesome, man. Uh, me being a wrestling fan for for my whole life. Uh, just going being out of WrestleMania, you know, I felt like yeah. it was just it was just major, you know. I felt like a kid again. It was awesome. Did you go to both? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Yes. So I saw I saw uh, Stone Cold uh, yes. wrestle for the first time in 19 years. I was a little worried about him because you know he looks a little old, looks a little fragile. <laughs> you know, he's taking he was he was taking some backdrops and suplexes and stuff, and I'm just like ah, you know, watch the neck. But you know, he got through it. Yeah. And then I don't know if you saw uh. uh Vince McMahon take a stunner, but it was the most um, un uh, unathletic, uncoordinated stunner uh, that everyone that anyone's ever took. Yeah. Like Stone Cold kicked him in the stomach, and Vince almost died. <laughs> I really, yeah, you know, like uh, Twitter was, basically, like for the first time ever, maybe Twitter unanimously agreed it was the worst stunner in the history of stunners. <laughs> yeah, and Vince <laughs> has never been that good of a uh, of a seller, but yeah. uh, that that was just terrible, man. But I mean, he, the guy is 76 years old, and he still looks in great shape. I hope to look like Vince McMahon when I'm 76. Uh, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great night. Uh, saw Brock Lesnar wrestle. Uh, the Undertaker uh, got inducted into the Hall of Fame. So uh, it was just, it was great, man. Saw some great matches. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it, man. It, it, and I'm really happy that it happened on a week that we didn't have any MMA. Right. So I felt a lot better about <laughs> going to the event. Good weekend to be able to get away and and not have to worry about missing a fight card. Uh, we've got two fight cards to talk about, and as you as you talk about WrestleMania, I know a lot of people have like WrestleMania on the bucket list. Well, this has been on my bucket list for a while, but I feel like a few weeks ago it moved way up the list because as we watched UFC London a few weeks ago, holy shit, man, that environment was unlike anything else. And you know, it was obviously turned up because they haven't been there in a while, and people are for the first time in a couple of years, being able to get out in masses and enjoy things the way they used to. So I get that that's part of it, but I mean, London crowds have always been great, but that's as good as I, I think I've ever seen. I mean, that was as good a live UFC crowd as I think I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, that London crowd, I mean, you you can tell. I mean, London crowds are good anyway, but you can tell that they've really missed this sport uh, being a part of, you know, being a part of their uh, it's been three years since they had a card. That their last one was Till and Mazadal, and that didn't end on a on a very positive note for the <laughs> for the UK crowd. <laughs> so, you know, they they put all of the 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 best up and coming fighters from 
from Tom Aspinall to Patty Pimblett, Molly McCann, like they, uh, Jack Shore, uh, Muhammad Makayev. Like there was uh, all of the all of the young prospects from that region uh, all on one card. Uh, I mean, all, everyone in the UK crowd, there was somebody that they were just geeked for yeah. uh, that the crowd was just really, really pulling for. So, I mean, that crowd, it delivered. And for a fight night, man, it just it just added to it. I mean, we've seen so many fight cards, uh, fight night cards, whether it be in the Apex or whether it be, you know, uh, Fight Island or whatever the case is. Uh, there was absolutely nothing like being uh, at UFC London and, you know, hearing that crowd. So, I mean, I'm glad that uh, they finally got back to the UK and, and it went so good that they're already uh, trying to book another show yeah. for the summer. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Dana White was like, okay, this is fucking awesome, and we're doing it again in 2022. We're not waiting. Uh, I, I love the fact that they're going back uh, as quickly as possible. And, you know, I, I don't know that it wouldn't have been a great crowd regardless of what happened inside the octagon, but good Lord, Will, that was as entertaining a fight card from start to finish as we've had in a long, long time. And I feel like I've said that so many times since we've started doing the podcast uh what two years ago or whatever it's been now but I, I feel like i've said that so many times and yet here i am again like looking at a fight card from fight one until the main event thinking like does it get any better than this how, how does it possibly get better than this man i mean the crowd was great but the fights really really delivered like you said and for the from the fir very first fight of the night we get a spectacular knockout. The prelims were great. But then you get into the main card. I mean, Jai Herbert and Ilya Taporia. I mean, that fight was insane. Uh, Jack, you know, Jack Shore on the prelims. That was probably the fight of the night. Uh, uh, who else did we have? Patty Pimblett energizing the crowd. Yeah. Molly McCann. Like, it was, it was crazy. You know, when people say, like, that, oh, that was the best fight night card of all time. You know, sometimes you're like, ah. Eh. But I think there's cause to be like, okay, this one might be the best fight night card of all time. I mean, I know yeah. it's, it's recency bias, and there's been a lot of fight night cards uh, in UFC history, but I would not be surprised. I mean, just everything that goes into it. I mean, the the, the fighters, uh, the crowd, how the fighters reacting to the crowd and everything. I mean, this this fight night card had it all. Well, let's talk about the main event, because Tom Aspinall made it look as easy as it's ever looked against Volkov, a guy that has been beat, obviously, by the elites in the heavyweight division, but nobody's just run through him, essentially, the way that Tom Aspinall did. I mean, that, that looked as like Mortal Kombat style flawless victory as you can possibly get. And for a guy that, you know, has been called a prospect over and over and has even said at times, like, I, I don't want to take the fast track. I, I want to take it slow and steady and make sure that I'm developing my skills along the way. I mean, I don't know how much more developing needs to happen. Like, he looks like he's ready to take on any challenger within that heavyweight division, including Cyril Gaon, Francis Ngannou, Curtis Blades. Like, it, it, give him any of those guys. I, I think it's going to be a great fight regardless. Yeah, I think he wants to uh, to gain more experience, but that just shows like how mature he is at an early stage in his career. But to do that to Alexander Volkov, I mean, there's really no, there's it really doesn't make any sense for him to take it slow anymore. I mean, he's right there on the cusp of a title shot, and it would make sense for him to get a title shot. Um, he's got the skills at this point. He's got the winning streak. Also, he's got the look. He's got the uh, he's got the region behind him and everything. I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing that's really holding back Tom Aspinall from uh, being championship caliber. Um, he said, he claims he wants to have more experience. Like he said, like, I'll take one more fight, but man, at this point, you, I, I, me, you, everyone that watched that saw that yeah. fight, they see that's a future champion. He's got it all there. 
I mean, we saw the striking in his earlier fights, but with how effortless it was for him to take Volkov down and how effortless it was for him to wrap up his submission and get him out of there in, in one round, that's, that's amazing, man. Tom Aspinall, he, he's got something, man. He's, he's such a smooth athlete, Will. Like, if you take away the, the, the fighting skills, right, and just look at his athletic ability for a guy that size, he moves so well, uh, everything is fluid, there's no rigid movements and, and it just all of the athletic parts of this look incredibly easy. And I think his demeanor is also maybe my favorite part of his entire arsenal. He just he never looks bothered. Right. He's just a cool customer in there and kind of just rolls with whatever's happening and sees his opportunities and takes them. But it's never rushed and he never feels like he's in a It's just it's so smooth from his mentality to his athleticism. And I've heard a number of people say this over the last few weeks uh, since this fight card took place. Like, you can make the argument at this point, he might be the most well-rounded heavyweight considering everything that he's capable of doing and all the different bright spots that we've seen. Uh, I, I'm i I'm in on whatever's next for him, whether that that's an interim title, whether that is Cyril Gaon or Curtis Blades or tied to Ivasa, who I think is, is the one he called out. I can't even remember. It's been so long now. But um, I, I the, the heavyweight division has so many options at the top of that thing, and and I feel like no matter what happens, Tom Aspinall needs to be in in involved in in something big next. Absolutely, I, I'm I'm with you. I feel like he's the most well-rounded heavyweight uh, at this point. I mean, there's there's a lot of talented guys in the heavyweight division. This division has really uh, caught up in, in, in the recent years. But when you look at all everyone's skill set, they're not they're lacking something. But Tom Aspinall isn't lacking really anything. Uh, I mean, th- I think the only thing that you could say he's lacking is experience. And that's yeah. just, you know, that's what he's already claiming that he knows he needs. So, I mean, but when it comes to skill, he's got literally everything that you would want a heavyweight to have. Uh, at this point, I'm with you. I, I, if it's an interim title fight, great. If it's, uh, but it's either an interim title fight or it's a number one contender type fight where he wins that fight, then he's going to get the next title shot. There's a little bit of a pecking order because, like, you can't deny. John Jones and Steve Epiocic a a title fight, an interim title fight, if they're actually going to fight. You know, for a minute, I, I kind of felt like Jones and Stipe were kind of just going to be quiet, and then we were just going to get a Tom Aspinall and tied to a Vasa interim, interim title fight. But I think that Stipe doesn't want to fight any of these young guys. I, and I think John only wants to fight Stipe. And that fight makes a ton of sense. I mean, despite neither of these guys having fought in a year plus for both of them, um, the fight makes a ton of sense. Legacy, you know, all that, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, but this this division needs to keep moving yeah. because these young guys are are really making a case. Like Curtis Blades, you can make a case for him deserving a title shot. You can make a case for Surreal Gone. You can make a case for Ty Tuavasa and Tom Aspinall. And, of course, you can make a case for Jones and Stipe. And they deserve to, to get those shots first. But it's starting to get to a point where if they keep on, you know, holding the, the division up, it's got to move on at some point. So. I think we're going to find out pretty soon if, if it's going to be Jones and Stipe fighting or if we're going to get some of these young guys going in there for the interim title. But I think we're going to find out soon. I'm all in for Stipe and John Jones main eventing a pay-per-view. I do not want them main eventing a pay-per-view for an interim heavyweight title because they're both going to stall out the division. Like, we already know Ngannou's out for the rest of the year. By the time he's ready to fight again, and then either one of those guys following that fight is ready to go again, it might be two more freaking years. I mean... I, I like both of them a lot, but we're also at a point where at one point in time, the heavyweight division, just it felt like there was a lack of like true, tr- true number one contenders. And all of a right. sudden we have this top heavy division with a number of guys that deserve opportunities. 
And these two guys, like, like I'm conflicted because do they deserve it based on their entire body of work? Of course they do. But if Stipe is going to fight one time a year and John Jones is, I mean, who knows? You know, you can't really predict what John's going to do. I mean, he might fight once and then never fight again, or he might fight once and then it might be two or three years. Or I mean, you just have no idea. Like the inconsistency in which those guys are in the octagon for me prevents me from wanting that to be an interim title fight. Let them main event something, let them main event something huge uh, on a pay-per-view. It'll, it'll sell. It'll be amazing. But I don't want either one of those guys getting their hands on an interim belt when we have Tom Aspinall, Curtis Blades, who we're about to talk about. It's not like Surreal Gone is a bum all of a sudden. I still think he right. is, is a champion in waiting. And uh, let's also not forget, that was a, still a close fight that he lost to Francis yeah. Ngannou. And um, tied to Ivasa is on a tear. So, like, th- there's a bunch of guys that I, I just don't want to see, like, a year pass with somebody holding holding an interim belt and everybody's just kind of, like, left waiting. So, um, that that's just more, I think, on on my appreciation for what the top end of that heavyweight division looks like than anything. But, uh, yeah, those guys are certainly deserving, but I, I don't want to see it go that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. As, as, as much of a John Jones fan that I am and as much as I would love to see a Jones and Stipe fight, uh, these young guys have really closed the gap on, on those guys, and it's, and it's getting to a point where we want to see this division uh, go, you know, move forward. I mean, these are, these are some young, hungry guys. The heavyweight division is evolving. I mean, if I'm the UFC, of course, I want I want to make Jones and Stipe happen. I mean, the fans would love to see it. Hardcores and casuals will come together and would love to see that fight. But um, I think at this point, man, I think that jo- Jones and Stipe, they're only going to come back to fight for for the title, especially yeah. especially John Jones. He's only going to want to come back for the title. Interim, and Stipe, by the way, for the for, yeah, yeah for the interim title. Um, and Stipe is the same way. I think Stipe just wants to come back to fight either Jones or Francis, and Jones wants to come back for the title. This is a perfect opportunity for Jones to come back and win the ti- win the interim title, and still find a way to avoid fighting Francis. Because <laughs> I still think, I still think that John Jones will not fight Francis Ngannou. Yeah. I, I'm still holding on to that. I, I do believe that John Jones will give up his uh, the interim title before he fights Francis Ngannou. But I do think that. He wants to come back. This is this is the perfect dream scenario for John Jones. I'm surprised that he hasn't been like chopping at the bit to get back to the to get back in the octagon. This is a chance for him to become a heavyweight champion, interim heavyweight champion, without fighting Francis. What what? Yeah. <laughs> what what's better than that for him? Yeah. So I'm surprised that we're still that we still haven't got anything on the books yet. But uh, I do feel like it'll be for an interim title. But this division needs to keep rolling, man. This division has gotten too good. This will be a really unpopular opinion, but I would rather not see those guys fight at all and go with, like, Aspinall and Surreal gone or, like, you know, Blades and Tuiva, like, do something with those guys and not even see John Jones and Stipe fight at all than see them fight for the interim. <laughs> man, just the... The fan I, in me would love to see that fight. But I, I do, you, I, yeah, I, I want to see that I'm, fight, I'm but I'm you, saying though. like my desire for for the interim to go somewhere else beyond those two outweighs my desire to see those guys fight each other. I'm with, I, I am with you though because yeah. if if it is Tom Aspinall and Surreal God Curtis Blades, like those are guys who will like defend the interim title as long as Francis is out. Like the division will keep rolling if any of those four guys become interim champion. If it's Jones and Stipe, we're gonna get a champion. And then it might be a whole other year before we see the the title unification fight. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I get it. But it's just like, ah, I really want to see Jones and Stipe, yeah. but I'm with you. I hear you. I hear you. The co-main event was uh, of that card. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about. Arnold yeah. Allen and Dan Hooker, which, uh, first of all, 
Arnold Allen, I, I think everybody knew how good he was, but this was really, I think, his statement win of his career to kind of say, hey, everybody knows I'm pretty good, but now people are starting to use his name in the breath of the contenders in the featherweight division. Um, for Dan Hooker, I, I just I didn't understand the way that he fought this fight at all. It, it didn't really make a ton of sense to me in terms of of his uh, game plan. Uh, all that said, I'm I'm also massively blown away at the amount of people that think Dan Hooker should just quit and retire, and that he's he's washed up. Like, what are we doing here? Do we like does context matter at all? Like, yes, he he's lost some some big fights recently, but he was in a war with Dustin Poirier, which is one of the the fight of the year candidates in 2020 uh yeah the Chandler thing happened and you know he got clipped and it was what it was uh it's not like he took a beating he, he just he got clipped and and that was the end of the story Islam Mahashev did to Dan Hooker what everybody does to Dan Hooker and Dan Hooker took the fight on short notice so that it could even happen and then we have this Arnold Allen situation where he drops down and wait like I, I don't I, I don't think Dan Hooker's washed up or a bum or anything like that like I think this is probably the worst loss of that entire uh losses but I, I just no part of me thinks that Dan Hooker is now irrelevant or like has has lost whatever he had. Yeah, I, I don't think he's done, but it it, it is um, difficult to 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 really gauge what happens next with him. Um, I do think that, you know, at lightweight, he had some wars and you only have so many of those like the Paul. He had the Paul Felder, Paul Felder war yeah. and he had the Dustin Poirier war back to back. And those, you know, you only have so many of those wars. Like the same thing happened to Robbie Lawler when he was champion. Like, you know, you only have so many of those. And then, you know, you have those wars and then you go to your next fight. Dan Hooker fought Michael Chandler. And then that one shot where it doesn't really seem like it's going to do too much. But, you know, your chin has been tested so much that, you know, and, and Dan Hooker is being very active at this point. Yeah. You know, he's trying to become champion. So, you know, uh, that, that one shot from Michael Chandler, you know, where he took so many big shots against Poirier and so many big shots against Paul Felder that that one shot just kind of just added up um, from Chandler and then it uh, took him out. Chandler uh, Chandler takes out everybody, though, with that shot. Like, I don't think that's a yeah. Dan Hooker thing as much as that's a Michael Chandler thing, I guess, for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm saying, like, it's also the war. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Michael Chandler is, is great and everything, but I think Dan Hooker eats that if he doesn't uh, fight Poirier and, and Felder before that. Because Dan Hooker, for, for, for my money, he's got a hell of a chin. It's just he took so much damage over those fights that, you know, it just got super tested. And uh, so, you know, Mike, the Michael Chandler fight happened. Islam happened. He did get a win against um, Nasrat Hackbrass. But um, I think the, the featherweight drop, I thought it was smart. But the Arnold Allen, you know, the fight with Arnold Allen, I think that was maybe a little too much too soon, knowing that Arnold Allen is as good as he is. But Dan Hooker, for how great he is, I mean, you, you can't really get like a warm-up fight. You're going to get thrust in yeah. with, the, with the top guys. So uh, it was a it was a tough loss. You know, it's you know he's cutting back down to 145. You know, his coaches didn't want him to. Uh, I don't I don't know, man. I do think, he, like you said, when I remember you texting me on on fight day, like, why is Dan Hooker fighting like that? You know, chin up in the air. You know, really, really pressuring him. Just kind of didn't really have much respect for Arnold Allen's power. Zero respect. Yeah. And he, and he paid for it, definitely paid for it. But I think it was, I think it was more of Dan Hooker thinking like I've fought X, Y, and Z at yeah. lightweight. Arnold Allen isn't going to be able to hurt me, but the the weight cut and, and everything like his body's reacting differently now. So I think that was a mistake on Dan Hooker's part. Obviously it was, I think if, there, if he could go back, he would fight that fight differently. But um, Arnold 
man, we can't take anything away from him because he went out there and definitely took it to Dan Hooker. Um, was on him. Yeah. Uh, clipped him uh, when when he had him hurt. We saw the the assassin come out of Arnold Allen, and we've seen Arnold Allen just really prove that he's better than a lot of these guys. But we haven't seen the assassin come out of him, and we saw that dog come out of him uh, against Dan Hooker. So I, his stock went way up. Yeah. The top 10 in the featherweight division right now is, I mean, on fire. Like, what a, I don't even know what you do with that to try and, like, make sense of it. But uh, I'm, I'm here for whatever matchups they want to give us. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there was zero respect from Dan Hooker. And then, like, he didn't use his length as an advantage. It was all just plodding forward with zero regard for, you know, it, like, use your length, use the elbows and knees and, like, muddy it up. It just, like, it was like he just was going to walk him down and knock him out. And, that just made no sense to me because you're taking away all of your advantages in the fight. And, I mean, even if you had told me that's the way the fight was going to be fought, I still wouldn't have said, like, I think Arnold Allen's going to knock him out. But it just, even, you know, either way, it still just doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I still, I'd like, I'd like to see him go back to 155. Um, maybe 145 is where he stays and Arnold Allen was just biting off more than he could chew to, to start things out. But um, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm not out on Dan Hooker by any means. I'm... I, He's had some tough losses, but like Islam has wiped the floor with everybody, right? Like that, 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 that's a loss that, you know, people are like, well, look at what Islam, well, yeah, who, who, who's, <laughs> Islam's doing that to everybody in the division. Like, I don't think that's a Dan Hooker thing. And I, we, I think we disagree a little bit on the Chandler fight. And, and I, I do agree with you that you don't have a ton of wars and, and the two wars and maybe coming back to kind of capitalize off of his star power uh, was a little too soon. But anyway, Dan, Dan I'm, I'm just, I'm not selling Dan Hooker stock. That's all. Uh, Patty Pimblett, UFC has a star on their hands. I don't think this guy's a future champion, but I do think he is a star and there is star power there. He's got charisma. He's an exciting fighter. Like there is a, a side of him that is a lot of fun to watch and, and that, uh, you know, can give you a fight of the night type of thing. Like he had the whole Ilya Taporia thing, right? And he's like, I'm not concerned. Dude, the UFC is never going to give Patty Pimblett to Ilya Taporia because Ilya Taporia is going to end the hype train. <laughs> it will be over. Like, done. So, yeah, like, it's it's funny to me. Like, they, they need to be really smart about this thing because I think they can build him into a mega star that's going to sell pay-per-views. But I, I, I just, I don't see him being, like, what Conor McGregor became, I guess, inside the octagon. Yeah, you know, I do, like you said, you said it perfect. They're, they, they have a star on their hands, but I don't see a future champion in Patty Pimblett right now. Um, and, and, you know, they said when he was in cage warriors, he was at featherweight. I do think that might be, um, a better spot for him. I mean, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to really tell where the best spot is for Patty Pimlet, but, um, I guess he, I, I saw yeah. a picture of him the other day and he's at, at like 295 or something oh. crazy. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> when the guy's not in the fight camp, the guy just completely is like, I'm eating everything. <laughs> I mean, credit to I mean, you if you can, like... He goes crazy. Yeah, if you can uh, cut back down, that sounds terrible, but... Yeah. yeah. It, it, you can just see it all in his cheeks. Like, I don't, it might not go anywhere else, but it just goes to his cheeks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's you can tell he's got a lot of skill. Yeah. But uh, his chin, it doesn't seem like he's able to take these shots as well. I feel like if there's if there's a guy that comes around like a Ilya Taporia who knows how to pick their shots and really uh sit down on their punches and land a good shot, Patty Pimlet's not answering that like he did against uh, against Vargas. So, uh I do think uh there's still a, a long way to go for Patty Pimlet, but uh I do think the UFC will continue to give him easy fights. 
Uh, I don't really see him fighting anyone of, of true relevance for a long time. Uh, I think it's probably next three fights. We probably won't even know who uh, a lot of these guys are. So, uh, Especially in the division he's in. Absolutely. You know, I saw on, on Twitter, like after the after his fight, what people thought was, should be next. And people were saying Terrence McKinney. I was like, oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> if you want Patty Pimmons to be a star, you do not <laughs> no. make him fight Terrence McKinney. That is the worst thing that you that you do. Terrence McKinney almost beat Drew Dober on short notice. And if he wouldn't have just uh, gassed himself out, he probably would have won that fight. You don't want Terrence McKinney fighting Patty Pimmons, yeah. especially a guy in Terrence McKinney who's, who would be on a full camp, who wouldn't be taken on short notice. I think he wipes the floor with Patty yeah. Pimmons. So... Yeah, if if I'm the UFC, just keep giving him kind of you know easy, good, stylistic fights, and you can continue to build him off that. Put, keep putting him in the UK, and you'll continue to see his star rise. Yeah, I, I like him, and I think he's entertain. He's an entertaining fighter. He's an entertaining personality, charisma, like all of it. Uh, but yeah, I'm. I'm uh, th- they need to be very smart with how they build him uh, before maybe feeding him to somebody like Ilya Taporia, even if Ilya Taporia is a a regular featherweight. Uh, that to me just seems like a bloodbath. You know what I mean? Which, by the yeah. way. Ilya Taporia, good lord. What a fight. Like, that is one of those fights where you you just completely see the dog in somebody, right? Like, most guys aren't coming back from that. Like, he dug down to, to survive and then still, like, walked the guy down to get his finish. It was unbelievable. I was just like, holy shit, that is a bad motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean... It did not look good for Taporia in that first round. I mean, I, you know, the size, it just seemed like Taporia wasn't going to be able to really do anything. I mean, I remember texting you after the first round and saying, like, Taporia needs to, like, desperately be shooting at his legs, like, uh, desperately, by any means necessary, get this fight to the ground. But Taporia didn't even try a takedown. He went, walked him down, got him in the corner, and just un- unloaded. And then that, that body shot that he landed, I mean, I, it completely froze Herbert, it dropped his hands. And then his face is wide open, and then he just lands that beautiful right hook, and it folded Jai Herbert. Man, devastating. I mean, uh, for for everything that Taporia went through on on the on the walkout, I mean, on the lead up to the fight with uh, Patty Pimlet, you know, he's getting booed and everything. But for him to go out there and, and perform like that, and this isn't really uh, his division. He just took this fight so he can be active. He's yeah. a he's a really a featherweight. But for him to come up at, at lightweight and get a knockout like that with all the pressure that was on him. I mean, the guy's undefeated. I, he's a problem, for sure. Problem. I mean, I know Arnold Allen probably wants somebody higher ranked, but give me Arnold Allen, Ilya Taporia at 145. Oh, my gosh. That would be, yeah, that would be insane. I mean, uh, either Especially way. Especially in London. That's right. Dang, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, book that fight for, for July. I mean, they're saying they're going to go back in July. Both guys had quick fights. I mean, they were both kind of brutal, but... They're yeah. both for a quick fight. I mean, let, let's see it, man. I would love to see that fight. Uh, Meatball Molly McCann will uh, might have, I, I don't know, I have to go back and think, but might have the KO of the year to this point? Yeah, I mean, we saw some devastating knockouts on this card, but I think uh, hers was probably the most devastating. I mean, completely uh, slept this girl. <laughs> it was it was incredible. I know she uh, Barstool signed her following that card. So she's now with Patty Pimblett on a, on a barstool contract, but another one that has loads of personality, charisma um, is very likable and has a likable style. I think in terms of what she is inside the octagon, I don't know what her ceiling is. I mean, I guess, I guess like Pimblett to a degree, like I don't know that she's a, a champion, but somebody that I think will have a lot of name value, name recognition, 
big personality, easily likable, and for the UFC, insanely marketable. Yeah, and and for the division that she's fighting in, that works. So you're saying that Patty Pimlet isn't uh, going to be a future champion, which you know he, he could get better, you know, whatever. But Molly McCann's fighting is fighting at women's flyweight. Now, I will say that the flyweight division is starting to is starting to get a little interesting with some of the young prospects that's coming up. Valentina's still the the queen, but you know there's some young prospects who are needed to be looked at. But you have someone like Molly McCann, and who's got who just had this big knockout, who's very likable, who the UFC can market. I mean, you listen to her. I mean, I listened to her uh, little media day thing, and it was the first time I ever heard her speak. But immediately, I'm like two minutes into the interview, I'm I'm a fan of her. Like the yeah. way she's talking, you can just tell she's very genuine, very sincere. Like this means something to her. Like this. This sport is is everything to her. She wants to do so good. She wants to represent her country. So like immediately, I became a fan of her. And the way that she fought, she fought like this meant something to her. She fought like she like she really really wanted it. I mean, she was on this girl from 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 the from the start. And it was kind of it was kind of worrisome because we were thinking she's gonna slow down. But instead of slowing down in the third round, she gets that knockout. So. I mean, and then, you know, the, the crowd's going crazy. You know, it was such a good moment for someone as genuine as Molly McCann. But li- but like I said, uh, it's great for this division that she's in, because if the UFC is looking for a contender to fight Valentina, who's been wiping the floor with everyone, why not just have her fight Meatball Molly? I mean, it'll yeah. it'll sell. Uh you know, the, you can make an interesting video package of Valentina head kicking Jessica I and of Molly McCann knocking out uh, Carolina, Carolina, and then it'll it'll be you know something that you can be like, oh, I'm interested in this fight. So uh, I do think for the division that she's, I do think for the division that she's in, I mean, she might have a shot to to. Um, I'm not gonna say become the champion, but because I don't think anyone's been beating Valentina, but I think she has a chance to get in there and uh, fight for the title. For the sake of this not becoming a four-hour podcast, um, <laughs> I, I could probably do another 30 minutes to an hour on just the prelims on this card as well. But, uh, right. I mean, just briefly, Man. like, Paul Craig over Krelov. Again, Paul Craig Crazy. just continues to look terrific. Jack Shore was, shockingly to me, at least when we did the podcast that week, he was the betting underdog on Wednesday when we recorded. I don't know what it finished at, but early that week, he was the betting underdog, which I was like, holy cow, like, Jack Shore, really? The dude's a stud. He backed it up. Um Mokhaev, who started the, the fight card, a big prospect at flyweight, certainly established himself. I mean, we could spend a, a lot more time on these prelims, but uh, I just wanted to quickly give a shout-out to those guys who were, I mean, I guess the most impressive of the rest. Yeah, I mean, Paul Craig is you know was looking like he was about to lose, and all of a sudden he just uh, slaps on a triangle out of nowhere. I mean, Paul Craig is dangerous at all, at all points of, of the fight. Uh, Jack Shore, I don't know how he was an underdog. I mean, uh, uh Timor was was tough, but Jack Shore. This is a guy who people are comparing to GSP. So and and, and you saw the the dog in him come out, man. And in that third round, I mean, that round was was insane. One of the rounds of the year, uh, definitely was fight of the night in in, in my opinion. And then uh, Mukayev, uh, flyweight's got a got a, a potential star on their hands, man. I think he uh, is a he might be a future champion, man. He's he's young. He's he's wants to become the youngest champion ever. I think he's only twenty one or twenty two, but. Uh, yeah. At Flyway, there's not many stars out there, and, and we might have one. So that was UFC London, and then the UFC came back to the States, and they were in Columbus, Ohio, to close out the month of March, which was main evented by Curtis Blades and Chris Dacus in the heavyweight division. And 
by the way, you went uh, seven and zero on the London card. I went six and one. The only one I lost was Hooker and, and Arnold Allen. Uh, we were we both had the exact same picks on the Columbus card, uh, which I believe we were both four and two. Uh, but we both had Curtis Blades, and I, I don't know about you. We didn't get to record last week, uh, so I can get your thoughts here. But I mean, zero part of me was conflicted about this main event. This to me was all Curtis Blades. Uh, and that's not anything against Chris Dawkins. I just, you know, Curtis Blades, I, I thought, was fighting a really good fight against Derek Lewis until, you know, we talked about this, until for some reason he just felt the need to, like, pursue this takedown that, that you know, got him caught. But I love the fact that he made a point in this fight to not wrestle. He got to show off the power and show off another side of him. When people say Curtis Blades, like, there's kind of a, a little bit of a groan, right? Because it's like, oh, this boring heavyweight that just wants to wrestle and we want heavyweights to knock each other out. And Curtis Blades showed a different side to himself. Yeah, see, I thought that Curtis Blades was going to take him down and eventually finish him by ground and pound. I did Same. I did expect to finish, but I did not expect him to uh, just keep this fight standing. And you can tell that he made it a point to keep this fight standing. There was no real, like, feints or even any type of hints that he wanted to take this fight to the ground. You get, he wanted to make a, uh, a point to keep this fight standing, and uh, and boy, for him to get that knockout, I mean, Chris Dawkins, I mean, of course he got knocked out by Derek Lewis, but before that, this is a guy who was knocking out uh, Shamil Abdurahimov and and, uh, and people like that. So if you were to ask me, well, not not me, but if you were to ask people who had the striking advantage, it probably would have went to Dawkins, right? Yeah. I mean, because Dawkins was, yeah. a, was a favorite against Derek Lewis. <laughs> I still don't even know how that happened, but yeah. hey. Um, but I did notice the uh, there was a clear size uh, advantage for Curtis Blades. I mean, he was all of about 260, and, and Chris Dawkins looked like he could really uh, shed some, off some of that uh, fat that he's got around his stomach and probably drop down. I mean, I don't know if you saw the, the poster, but, I mean, these guys are like the same height, but the poster looks like Curtis Blades is 6'8", and Chris <laughs> yeah. Dawkins is like 5'11". I'm like, yeah. wow, that's... That's pretty disrespectful. But on fight day, that's kind of what it looked like. It looked like Curtis Blades was the clear, bigger guy. And uh, if I were Chris Dawkins, man, I would consider moving down because he's very skilled. But I think um, he might not take this uh, his uh, nutrition and everything, uh, you know, that serious. But I think if he were to get that dialed in, maybe drop down and wait, fight guys that he's got uh, an advantage over, we might see him become a contender there. I mean, he became a contender at heavyweight. Why yeah. not? Uh, you know, try to light headweight. Yeah, I, I think that he was probably like us and thought Curtis Blades was just going to get him to the ground and wear him out that way. And that's why Curtis Blades striking is so effective, right? It's not like Curtis Blades is the best striker out there, but because you have to worry so much about him taking you down, it, it presents opportunities for him to hit you. And like, I go back to the Derek Lewis fight. Until he decided that he was just going to drop his head and try to force this takedown, like he was dominating that fight. Not, not that he was beating up Derek Lewis, but he was going to win that in a landslide from a point standpoint because Derek Lewis wasn't touching him because Derek Lewis wasn't going to risk getting taken down. He was only going to go for the big shot and Curtis blades for what was it? A round and a half, I think was in and yeah. out and touching him and out touching him and out and, and look good on his feet. I mean, it's, it's not like he was, again, he wasn't hurting him, but he looked good on his feet. He was getting in, getting his shots, getting out, avoiding danger. And then he just made a really bad decision. Uh, but I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what's next for Curtis blades and, I think he obviously understands like there is a showmanship part to this sport that that plays a role and for him, you know, and we were having the conversation before the Derek Lewis fight that maybe with a win there he he probably deserves another opportunity and 
part of that is like, I, I don't know if he'll get it simply because of his style. Well, when you do things like this, that's that's going to go a long way in terms of winning the favor of not only the fans, but the decision makers. Oh, yeah. When you uh, when you um, you know, this is the same thing that happened with Usman, you know, the people call yes. him snoozeman and, and everything. But he's clearly just wiping the floor with these guys. It's the same thing with Curtis Blades. Like if you don't knock him out. Curtis Blades is winning the fight because he's only lost to the the two best knockout artists in in the history of the UFC, really, Francis and and Derek Lewis. So if you're not knocking him out up to this point, you're not beating him. So you know Curtis Blades doesn't really say too much, but you know he he does have you know the speech impediment. This would be this would be a great time for like if this was WWE, Curtis Blades would have like a, a manager who does all the talking for him. You know. Yes. But you know Curtis Blades is really really good. Um, I think he's he's definitely on the cusp of a title shot. Uh, I think at this point, I think it makes all the sense in the world for Curtis Blades to fight Cyril Gaon, man. I mean, I feel like they're both maybe that one statement win away from getting back to the interim title fight. I think uh, Aspinall and Taito Avasa have the streaks over them. And then, you know, Jones and Stipe have the legacy over them. I think uh, Cyril and Curtis Blades are like, it, it just makes a ton of sense they're on the same kind of level right now. I think that's the perfect fight to make. So I was watching this fight uh, and my wife was in the room and she wasn't really paying attention. She was like on her phone, but she, you know, she's just sitting there and she happens to look up like literally the second that Curtis Blades is throwing the fatality shot. Right. Yeah. And it connects. And I, I'm like, you know, as a fan, I'm like, Oh shit, like, <laughs> losing my mind. And simultaneously she's like, Oh my God, why are you watching this? Like, it was so funny because we have these polar opposite reactions, like these, not even reactions, these polar opposite outbursts simultaneously yeah. as that shot lands. I'm like, ah, like, this is crazy. And she's like, why is he beating the hell out of the guy? Like, stop the, you know, I'm like, shush. They're <laughs> fighting. Come on, this, she, yeah. she doesn't know that this is this is what like captivates our attention. Yeah, like we're 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 men. This is what this is what gets our testosterone flowing. Like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so the, she, uh, I'm dead serious. She's seen two fights like in the last year, like two. One of them was literally the knockout punch, followed by Curtis Blade, you know, jumping on top and and landing a couple shots before it was over, and then the other one was like, I, I forget what fight it was, but it was about. Um, you can probably help me out here. It was about a month ago. And somebody got cut, and I mean, it was a bad cut, and like blood everywhere. Do you remember what fight I'm talking about? It was probably about a month or two ago. Uh, okay, was this? Do you remember if it was a pay per view? I don't think it was a pay per view. I think it was a fight night. Oh man, the cut really. Somebody bad. got I mean, a the... really bad cut, and I mean, I mean, their face was covered in blood, blood all over the octagon, like it was a gusher. And she was just like, oh, my. And, like, it was one of those where even I was like, good Lord, that's a lot of blood. Oh, 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 oh. Um, ah, I know this. I know it. I know it. Um, the little short, the short guy, um, the short lightweight fought the tall guy that can't uh, make weight. It was uh, Sarukian. Oh, yes, Sarukian and Alvarez. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. so, yes, that's the, oh, so yeah. she saw that one, and she was just like, how do you watch this? This is like barbaric, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, they're not usually like this. Like, this is a really bad cut with blood everywhere. Like, don't get me wrong. So she saw that one. And then like, you know, obviously it was like, I'm not watching and leaves the room. And then the next one she watched was like the knockout punch, which it wasn't bad, but 
you know, she was just like, oh, and I'm like, yeah. how do you watch this? Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, at least, at least she's basically saying that she has a heart and we don't have heart. Yeah, like, exactly. We yeah. You know, we don't we don't care if people say people want to see blood <laughs> and violence. Give and me the carnage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but like the, the, the blood one though, cause I remember like I was watching it before she ever said anything. I was just like, that's a lot of blood, man. Like that's, that's crazy. That is a lot. And not that I was yeah. like grossed out or anything, but I was just like, good Lord, like that, that's not normal. And then that's right. obviously the one that she's like sitting there next to me, like watching it and like, Oh my God. If we think it's a lot of blood, like imagine like what someone who actually cares exactly. about people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> crazy but yeah that it was uh i was pretty excited on the on the way that fight ended uh alexa grosso well i mean speaking of of people that have a lot of forward momentum i mean another one that i feel like is getting a lot of love in terms of what the ceiling is okay uh i got a soft spot for alexa grosso she's one of my favorites for very obvious reasons but uh, uh outside of that uh she's very very skilled very very talented um She's got uh, the boxing is is very, very good. But she showed another side of her. She shows that she's been working on other uh, areas of her game to get her first submission against someone as experienced as Joanne Wood. I mean, that that just goes to show that she's she's evolving. She's getting better. Um, and I think she's one of these people, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that she can beat Valentina, but with her boxing, uh, I do feel like, she, you know, she could land something that could that can make it interesting. Uh, you, you know, there's not a lot of people who's got the boxing talent that she has. Um, she's not anywhere near Valentina skill wise, but I do think if she were to land something, it, it could be, it, it could get interesting, but you know, she's definitely um, very, very talented, very, very skilled. And she's only getting better. Uh, would you mind her getting the next shot? No, uh, I mean, I, it's tough because, you know, a lot of these girls, they're, they're still growing. So like, you want to see them continue to evolve and to continue to grow, but like Valentina needs people to fight. So, yeah. uh, you know, she's about to fight Taya Santos, who's ranked probably like four or five in the division. And like Alexa Grasso is like right there. She's won three in a row, I think. Yeah. So she's right there. So if she, maybe she wins one more, maybe she waits, but I do think that she's got the following of everyone in, in Mexico. Uh, it might make the UFC be like, you know, she's got a following. We can just give uh, Alexa Grasso the next shot. The rankings right now for uh, women's flyweight, Andrade is number one, Chukagian is number two, Lauren Murphy is number three, Talia Santos is number four, and then it's Alexa Grasso. And then after her, it's Maya, um, Firo, um, Vivian Arroyo, uh, Andrea Lee, Joanne Wood, Cynthia Calvillo, like Jessica I, right? Like I, where I, I just don't see another even inviting semi like exciting fight for Valentina unfortunately and maybe it's too soon for Grasso but I mean who else who else would you rather see in there well I will throw out this one name to you uh Jessica Andrade is moving down to straw weight she's got a fight coming up in a in a few weeks but in July uh Misha Tate's dropping down to fly weight to fly to fight Lauren Murphy if Misha Tate gets that win I would okay. love to see you know Valentina fight Misha Tate and it's not even that Misha Tate would deserve a title shot right off the bat, but uh, she's got the, the the achievements. You know, she's she's a former UFC champion. Uh, she's got the star power. She was she made a vent in UFC 200. Like that's someone that you can justify uh, getting a shot to fight Valentina, especially with the division as 
wide open as it is. Yeah. Um, I, I gave you numbers one through 12 and then like down at the bottom of the rankings there, it's Casey O'Neill, Macy Barber and Aaron Blanchfield. Some of the, the young emerging stars, like there's also an opportunity for any number of, of those three women to, I mean, skyrocket up the list. Cause again, there's just not, a, there's not a lot of great matchups for Valentina or it's, you know, it's reruns or, you know, you just kind of feel like you're, you're picking somebody for the sake of picking them. Like there's nobody established in that division at all. I mean, other, I guess, like Chukagian, I feel like is next and she's had her opportunities, but then like, then there's a level below and it's like everybody else. See, this is why I think that why, when we pick our champions, why I felt like Valentina would fight, would go up and fight, because I think if she wins this fight against Santos, you could throw Grasso in there. You could throw, um, you know, Chukagian back in there or whatever the case is, but why not let Valentina go up? Uh, and and try to win a second belt and kind of let the division kind of catch up to her a little bit, kind of let, you know, some of these other girls make a, really make a statement, make a name for themselves instead of, you know, win two fights or three fights and then you're automatically just kind of thrown at Valentina just because she needs to fight. I mean, I know that a lot of these girls are earning their way and stuff, but I would rather see them, you know, really make a, a statement before fighting Valentina instead of just getting, you know, thrown to Valentina, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm pro Alexa Grasso. I think uh, she has as much upside as anybody else in that division. And if uh, she were to be the one that they said, uh, we're giving you the big shot next, uh, thumbs up for me. Uh, Brian Barberina and Matt Brown, um, this was one that I don't know how you scored it. I'll say this. I scored it 2-1 for Barberina, but this was definitely a fight where I wasn't completely watching it uninterrupted. Like, my son was doing things around me and so like I was somewhat distracted while I was watching it so like this is one of those where I will say for me at least there is definitely a margin of error where I wasn't glued to every second of it and certainly could have missed portions of it where I can fully admit that I could be wrong here but I saw a lot of people disagreeing about what this outcome should have been yeah so I was doing my best to watch this fight but I believe Arkansas was playing at the exact same time that this (laughs) fight was happening so I was kind of going back and forth but from what I did see this fight was a war, uh, as as we expected. Um, I I didn't think that Matt Brown would be able to take Brian Barberina's shots, but I did feel like Matt Brown was the more active guy, and he was the guy who was kind of uh, mixing it up, uh, mixing in takedowns, very timely takedowns. But I I thought you know I thought that Matt Brown was going to win because it was in his hometown. I thought the fight was that close that um, he would edge out a a split decision in his hometown. That's what I thought when the fight ended. I did think Brian Barberino won the third round, and I thought the second round was really close. Um, so I thought, you know, it would have been one of those things where it was like, you know what, we'll give it to Matt just because it's his hometown. Uh, I'm not mad either either way it would have went. You know, I don't I didn't think it was a robbery because the fight was that close. But um, uh, you, I did want to see Matt Brown win because it was his hometown. But, you know, Brian Barberino went out there and fought a really good fight as well. So uh, it was a good fight. Um, I don't think Matt Brown loses any stock with no. that loss. And, uh, you know, Brian Barberina is going to get a new contract from it, I guess. So I, I, if it, for me, both guys won. Uh, but you just, you know, it's tough that Matt Brown caught it out of his hometown. Matt Brown is a badass. And I, I might say he's my hero. He, he and I were <laughs> born the same year, Will. And, like, the dude's just out there being a badass, right? Like, just yeah. he's always game and he's going to be in a fight. And, like, he's going to deliver punishment and he's going to take punishment. It's, I mean, it's never a soft fight, right? I mean, he's always in wars, in tough fights, in grinders. And at the age of, he's 41. 
Uh, and just good lord, man, it's wild. Yeah, a hero. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, no, normally we see a lot of these forty-year-olds, and they just they just keep you know you, you see the writing on the wall, really. But for me, I feel like Matt Brown probably has at least another good year or two left in him. I mean, I don't really yeah. see him going down. He's still tough. He's still putting punches together, takedowns together, and everything. It doesn't seem like he's barely holding on. Like Matt Brown, it does seem like he's got something. Um, yeah, he's not I losing like 30 27s. Right, right. He's not getting wiped out of the water. Like Brian Barberina is a really good fighter. Like Vicente Luque and Randy Brown, all these guys, he's losing to those type guys. He's yeah. not, you know, that, that's a really good fighter. So, it, and it was a great fight. Matt Brown could have won that fight. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's putting on for the 40 year olds. Uh, Kai Kara France has to be the next big thing in the flyweight division. Uh, I, I love this guy. I think he's maybe the most entertaining flyweight out there. I, I was hoping he was going to win this fight, but uh, we I think we both picked uh, Askarov in this, and I just thought uh, Askarov's well-roundedness and especially ground game was the difference here, uh, and hoping I was going to be wrong, because when Kai Kara France is doing his thing, he's... I mean, he is something to see, and once again, I mean, a, a lot like what we've seen out of him recently, he just kind of wills himself to turn this fight into the kind of fight that he needs it to be to display his skill set, and then he's able to 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 perform at the highest level, and I guess after the seven-game series between Figueredo and Moreno's over, and one of those guys is like one, four to three, then in 2026, Kaikar France is going to get his opportunity, but I'm, I'm glad that we finally have like the next guy in line. <laughs> <laughs> man um okay I, I, let me say this i do think that moreno and figueredo do need to fight one more time because it's one 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 they need to break that tie let's just hope it's not a draw because then we really might get a seven game series <laughs> but uh, uh kai car france uh i didn't think that like i wasn't sure if he was champion a championship guy after beating cody garbrandt you know that didn't, that win didn't really do much for me uh, it was just a name. Uh, I think it, it it was something that he needed to get his name on the map. But this one, this fight here against Askarov, um, Askarov might have been the guy that I picked to be the the flyweight champion at the end of the year because his wrestling. I, I felt I just thought his wrestling. He was going to be able to, to control everyone. But for Kai Car France to go out there and basically just take it to him, and whenever he had his chances to 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 tee off, he was teeing off. No. Uh, you really saw the dog come out of uh, Kai Car France. Uh, he's got a really uh, friend, fan friendly style. He goes out there, puts it on the line. He's always in exciting fights. So um, I think with this win, I think Kai Car France is obviously the guy. Um, he's got star potential. And whoever wins this, Figueredo, uh, Moreno, you know, I don't even know what you, what you call it. It's not a trilogy, but it's a uh, uh, game, game four. We'll say game yeah, four. Game four. <laughs> Whoever wins game four, uh, Kai Car France is definitely next. I kind of like Kai Car France against either one of those guys. Maybe I'm I being a little bit prisoner of the moment, but kind of like Kai Car France against either guy. I definitely think he's got a power advantage over Moreno, and the skill might teeter a little bit towards Moreno, but I don't feel like it's a it's much of a gap. Um, so I do feel like uh, Kai Car France might. We'll probably have a better chance against Moreno. Against Figueroa, I do think I think that fight will be really, That'd really be entertaining awesome for the fans. Um, and I think, you know, Kai Car France could lend that shot to put him out. You know, we've seen Figueroa have, you know, struggle with the weight cut, uh, with the type of power that Kai Car France has. 
I mean, Figueredo might not be able to take those shots that uh, the shots that he's taking from Moreno, he won't be able to take from Kai Car France. So I don't know, man. You might be right. You might be onto something. Uh, another fight that went the distance and had a little bit of a controversy to it. Again, seeing some people that disagreed with the outcome. I only saw a little bit like the other fight. Like my son's all over the place. I'm kind of doing. I, I really only saw the third round in this one. But uh, Neil Magny got the the decision win over Max Griffin. Uh, which, by the way, Neil Magny is now tied with GSP for all time wins in the welterweight division. How crazy is that? That's it's so crazy. And it's even, I don't even know if that's even more crazy than this, but it was so disrespectful that Neil Magny was going to be on the prelim (laughs) of this card. Like I was, I was so upset because I was like, man, this is a guy who, who was basically kind of begging the UFC, like, Hey, I'll fight Hamzat. And Dana White saying, Oh, nobody wants to fight him. Like Neil Magny's like, Hey, Dana over here, woohoo, I'll fight him. And then he's going to, he's going to wind up on the prelims. I mean, sure. Max Griffin isn't Hamzat Shemaev, but I think Neil Magny has built up a resume uh, as a guy who at the time was second in the UFC welterweight wins column. Now he's tied for first. I mean, give, give Neil Magny some love. Like, Jesus. Like, what are we, what are we yeah. doing? I mean, I mean the, the there, is, there are some people who say GSP's the GOAT, right? Like, he certainly right. deserves to be in the conversation no matter what your opinion is, whether it's John Jones or Khabib or GSP. Like, he deserves to be in the conversation, and Neil Magny now has as many wins as GSP. At 170, right. and, and we're not, and we're just gonna kind of act like that doesn't even matter, like that, that, like that, it's not important. I mean, I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, but the fight itself, the fight itself, Max Griffin came out really, really strong, dropped Neil Magny. It kind of seemed like Neil Magny. It took him a minute to wake up because I didn't really like the way he was moving, and uh, Max Griffin caught him. Uh, but I think after the first round, Neil Magny kind of, you know, got his feet under him and kind of uh, was kind of starting to take over. The third round definitely went to went to Neil Magny. The second round, you could see the the momentum shifting. Max Griffin had some moments, but I do think I did think Neil Magny uh, edged out that round. It was close. Um, I wouldn't have been mad though if if Max Griffin won it because it it was that close. But I, I think man, and he called out Hamza after after the after the win. He's not gonna get that fight. No. I mean. Hamza, I mean, Hamza's looking at him like, bro, I passed you and I didn't even have to do anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, man, uh, you know, you feel for Neil Madden because this is the guy who got the most wins, tied for the most wins in the welterweight division. And like, you don't even know what's next for him. Like, is it a, is it a ranked guy? Is it an unranked guy? Like, where, where, where is Neil Madden going from here? Yeah, I'm looking at like the welterweights and, uh, I mean, Sean Brady is ranked one spot ahead of him. Michael Chiesa is one spot below him. Yeah, I mean, I guess either one of those. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have an appetite to see Neil Magny and yes uh, again, yes again. again. But I mean, Neil, uh, Neil Magny and Sean Brady that would be interesting. I'd watch that one. Uh, Rachmanov is fifteen. Right that might be interesting. Oh, Shavkat Rachmanov. I think he called him out on Twitter after the fight, and Neil Magny was like, "Hey, oh, like, okay. I'm game. like I'll, I'll fight you." So I'm I mean, in on that, that. that would be a good one. Yeah, I'm definitely on that. So sign me up. Yeah. And I feel Neil Magny's one of those guys that, like, he's just, he's a tough out no matter what. So, like, you're going to become a better fighter no matter who you are by going through Neil Magny, right? Yeah, so that's, see, that's why I wanted to see Hamza fight Neil Magny because yeah. that's, like, that's like a good test um, to, to really put you up in the upper echelon of the division. Now, I understand Hamza's a star. You don't, he doesn't, he probably doesn't even need to fight a Neil Magny. Uh, he's done enough to where he's only been hit one time in four or five fights. I get it, but 
I respect Neil Magny enough that I think he deserves deserved that fight. Yeah. That, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Hamzad, who's on the pay-per-view card that we're going to get to in a moment, but I think it was DC that said, like, what is Hamzat doing running around with Darren Till everywhere and being all over the cameras and, like, having this, like, bromance? Like, dude, you're, like, this killer that, like, is ready to smash everybody, brother. Like, what are you out... Why are you so showing everybody this side of you when you have the star power? Like, keep the mystique alive. And I was, like, as I was reading it, I was, like, DC's reading yeah. my mind. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, if this were... I mean, I hate to keep bringing up the WWE, but if this were the WWE... We wouldn't probably never see or hear from Hamza until like fight um, until like the weigh-ins or like he'll probably have like one media day interview. Like we would barely even see anything from Hamza if he were if this were pro wrestling. But it's like Goldberg, anyways, right? I, like I, you I just digress. you're gonna bring him out. He's gonna kill somebody, demolish somebody in like yes. a minute, and then he's gonna go backstage. That's gonna be the end of it. Yes, and he's not gonna say much of anything. He's just gonna probably say three, four words. And, and, and then it's over. But, yeah. like, you know, with Darren Till, we're seeing a little too much of him. Like, I, I understand what DC's saying. He's a wrestling fan himself, so I'm sure he gets it. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I, I'm definitely with him. Like, we're seeing too much of him. This bromance is too much. Yeah, I, well, I just, I don't want to see Hamzat smiling. Like, right. The, right. the image no. I have of Hamzat is, like, he just sits, like, in this room, like, just waiting for this opportunity to be unleashed so he can go smash somebody's face. Like, then he's, like, sitting yeah. there with his arm around Darren Till, grinning ear to ear, and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy? What is this? <laughs> yeah, like, the the... the the last image that we had of him um, when he beat uh, Lee Jang Liang, like that, that post fight <laughs> yes. interview, how intense that was. Yeah. And then we're seeing him just all over with Darren Till. Like, yeah. who is this guy? Is, Darren is, Till's is a funny guy, still... though. I'll give him credit. For sure. He's a funny guy, but is the killer in Hamza still there? We'll find out on Saturday. But I mean, I'm sure if he loses his fight, the blame's going to go to Darren Till. <laughs> Before we move to the pay per view, uh, any other thoughts from the Columbus card, Will? Uh, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Pharaoh in the flyweight division, beating Jennifer Maya, who was ranked number six. Um, another one of the flyweights who's really making a name for herself. Uh, and then Sarah McMahon back on the win column, beating Carol Hosa. Other than that, man, uh, a lot of decisions on this card, but it was a really solid end uh, to the month of March with the UFC. Yeah. And part of it is like probably trailing, being the third of three fight weeks in a row where like, the cards were just stacked and great where although yeah. this was a good card, it just in comparison, I guess like on its own, this, this card was totally fine and, and a lot of fun. But if you compare it to the previous two, it's like, eh, not quite as good, yeah. not quite as much star power, not as many highlights. Like, you know, that's just the harsh reality sometimes of sports, what you're directly compared against. So, uh, all right, UFC. Uh, oh, go ahead. Before we move on, I just had one question. Uh, you know, we've been, we had this little run, of these cards that we felt were better than 270. Did you think that this Columbus card was better than 270? No, no, <laughs> no. So finally we got one. That finally, yeah, finally we had a fight night card that wasn't better than a UFC pay-per-view featuring the heavyweight champion of the world. Right. <laughs> Just so asinine that that's even a conversation. But you're right. I mean, the last, the two previous fight night cards were by Easily. a large margin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, UFC 273 on Saturday from Jacksonville, Florida, headlined by Volkanovski and Korean Zombie for the Featherweight Championship of the World. Finally, the Bantamweight Championship will be decided between Aljamain Sterling and Pewter Yan, as we just talked about. Hamza Chemaev is back in the octagon. This fight card is awesome. This fight card is loaded. And as we typically do with 
pay-per-view cards, Will. Uh, there is a fight on the prelims that I think deserves a three-pointer. What do you think? Which which one? Which one? Which one are we talking? I was thinking Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Marcin Tabura. I'm with that, man. Let's do it. Okay, so that's where we will start in the heavyweight division. As you have a three-point lead, I believe on the year you have a total of 87 points. I have a total of 84 points. Uh, we were identical picks a week ago, so nothing gained or lost. Uh, the week before, you had a two-point lead going into the London card. And the only difference we had on that fight card was uh, the Arnold Allen-Dan Hooker fight, which you got Arnold Allen. So three points for you. Every fight on this card is worth three, except for the co and the main, which are both five-pointers because there is a strap on the line. So points to be had on Saturday night, Will. Heavyweights, Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Marcin Tabura is our first uh, fight to pick. Minus 150 for Rosenstrike, plus 120 for Tabura from oddshark.com. So for me, uh, this goes down to uh, what Jarzinho are we going to see? Uh, Jarzinho, uh, you know, he, he goes out there and he fights the surreal gun and, you know, the, the fight doesn't really look that good. He comes back against uh, Augusto Sakai and then he looks like a world beater. Then he fights uh, Curtis Blades and then he just, he doesn't open up. You know, it seems like he really he's really struggling right now. His kickboxing is great, but um, I I tend to wonder if he's going to like if he's going to open up or if he's just going to stand back in a shell because Tibera is going to be a guy who uh, can potentially take him down but can hold his own in the in the striking. So um, with me wondering, you know, what Jarzinho we're going to see, I I will say that his only three losses Jarzinho are to Curtis Blades. Cyril Gaon and Ngannou. Francis Ngannou. Yeah. So, so he's got three losses to some real, to the top top guys in the division. Uh, Tibera, I mean, I think he's uh, I think he was on a run. I think Volkov was a, was a kind of a step up. Um, man, I man, this one's close. I kind of want to I want to go with Jarzinho, but I feel like Tibera has been more consistent over his last few fights. So I'm going to go with Tibera. I'm so happy right now because we are going to start on the opposite side of things to begin UFC. We, this this deficit could be erased one fight in, Will, or it could be doubled one fight in because I'm going Jarzinho Rosenstrike. And I'll point out a fight that I think this fight reminds me of. Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins. I just think we're looking at Jarzinho having lost to the elite of the elite, and he's now fighting a guy that, I don't. while I think Tabir is good, I just don't think he's on the same level as those other guys, and I think there's going to be a, a power advantage and an opportunity for Rosenstrike to maybe bully him a little bit. Yeah, you know, it could happen. Um, you know, before that Volkov fight, uh, Tiber was looking like he could be on to something. Uh, but, you know, Jarzinho does have the power. Uh, like I said, it just depends on what guy we're going to see because if it's the Jarzinho that fought Augusto Sakai, then that my lead's going to be erased immediately. But, um, you know, just it just... Yeah. I don't know what guy we're going to see. He's been so inconsistent against some of these guys. And uh, Tibera can hold his own on the feet, and he can take him down. So I think he's a little more well-rounded. But, you know, Jarzinho's kickboxing is on a level. So we'll see. Before we start making the main card picks, I uh, just want to point out to people that might not know, uh, the feature prelim features Ian Gary, which uh, is kind of like in the same type of stratosphere as Patty Pimblett. Like, 
potentially a giant star for the UFC, maybe a higher ceiling, I think, overall, uh, but a guy that, that definitely is somebody to circle in terms of the potential and the star power and just kind of having that charisma and it factor, if you will. But uh, pay attention to Ian Gary. Oh, yeah. He's definitely got the uh, the charisma uh, from from Ireland. I mean, he's basically got the everyone saying that he's the next Conor McGregor and, and everything. He's definitely got the star power. He got a knockout in, in his first fight. Um, uh, when you listen to him speak, you know, he kind of uh, captivates your, your attention. So you definitely see the star power in, in the guy. So uh, this is going to be a tough one against Darian Weeks. But uh, Ian Gary is definitely a prospect to look at. All right, we begin things on the main card of UFC 273 in the lightweight division. Vince Pichel and Mark Madsen. Oddshark.com has Vince Pichel at minus 135, Madsen plus 105. Um, you know, this one's close, uh, of course, as I'd say, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with uh, the Olympic wrestler. You know, that's the uh, the most important skill that you need to have in the UFC, um, or one of the most. So uh, I'm gonna roll with uh, with um, with Mark Madsen. Basically, just him getting a lot of takedowns and uh, controlling him. I think this was the toughest one on the entire card for me. I mean, the entire card. And I finally landed with Vince being on a three-fight win streak, but the loss uh, was to, before that, was to um, uh, Gregor Gillespie, who does something really well, right? Something Mark Madsen does pretty well as well. So, oh yeah, uh, I think this is going. This is a tough fight, though. I, I don't think it's just a landslide. I'm I'm conflicted, but uh, it's going to be Mark Madsen for me as well. All right, fight number two on the main card. We go to uh, female strawweights, Mackenzie Dern and Tisha Torres. Oddshark.com has Mackenzie Dern at minus one twenty. Tisha Torres is at minus one ten. Will this is about as close as it possibly gets? Yeah, so um, this one came down to, you know, Tisha. Tisha's really good for this division. Like, she's one of those, like, this is one of those fights that you really need to see where the other one is at. Uh, Tisha, because we know what we're going to get from Tisha. Uh, we kind of saw McKenzie struggle in the striking department with Marina Rodriguez, but she did have routes to win with her, with her, with her takedowns and getting uh, submission attempts and everything. But, you know, Tisha is someone who's very, very strong. She's got the legs the size of, like, her, her legs are massive, uh, put it that way. She is very physically strong. Uh, she's fought the who's who. She's only lost to the who's who of the division. She's lost to Rose, Yoano, uh, Zhang Wei Li. Um, she's lost to the best of the best. Is, my question comes down to, is McKinsey during that? And that's something that we're going to find out on Saturday. Uh, but... You know, with with Tisha being as durable as she's been, you know, she normally goes to to decision. Um, no one really overwhelms her like that. Uh, and with her being so physically strong, I feel like McKenzie's going to struggle to get her down. Uh, McKenzie could wrap up a submission. Um, she's very, you know, she's a she's a jujitsu uh, queen for a reason. But I think she she might struggle to really find that opening. So my pick's going to go with Tisha Torres. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going to go Mackenzie Dern. By the way, both of these uh, ladies' last loss was to Marina Rodriguez. Um, since then, Tisha Torres is on a three-fight win streak, but this is the first time she's really jumping back up to that level of competition since the 
Marina Rodriguez loss. I mean, she has three straight wins, but nobody near the same level as Marina Rodriguez or Mackenzie Dern. Uh, Mackenzie Dern has done nothing, I think, recently but fight people at that same level. Um, so, yeah, give me Mackenzie Dern. I, I, I like being on the other side of that one as well. So we are off to a good start, and I really hope this continues, Will, because I, I, <laughs> the rest of the way I feel really good about where I'm going. So if you're on the other side, then uh, it's going to be pretty golden. Um, all right, so here it is. It's what everybody's been waiting for, the return of Hamzat Shemaev inside the octagon. He will face, admittedly, one of my favorites, Gilbert Burns, in the welterweight division. Oddshark.com has Hamzat Shemaev. Do you want to take a guess at this number? Have you seen it by chance, or do you know? Um, okay, um, Hamzat is a minus... 600 on the money minus 600 for Hamza Chimaev plus 400 for Gilbert Burns man um I don't I don't want to say like these odds are crazy or, or anything because like I'm I'm there like I'm with you I'm with everyone thinking like Hamza is probably gonna wipe the floor with this guy but in terms of Hamza I'm the guy that you know when there's a new guy who's just kind of you know, wiping, you know, coming, taking the world by storm and stuff. I'm the guy that comes with the questions. Like, I need to see this before this happens. I need to see this before that happens. So my questions with Hamza is, what happens when he gets out of the first round? What happens when he fights a guy who can wrap up a submission like a Gilbert Burns? And lastly, what happens when he takes a punch? Because he's, he's only been hit one time, and I don't even re- remember who hit him, what he hit him with how significant it was, I don't remember any of that. So to me, Hamza hasn't been hit yet. So I'm wondering what happens when Hamza gets hit because he does cut a lot of weight. That, that is a big, big man. I kind of think that we may not see Hamza truly get tested until he moves up to middleweight. I truly think that he is just too big for everyone in this division. Now I gotta show some love to my guy Kamaru because whenever that whenever that fight happens, I'm you know I'm definitely going to be pulling for him. But up when until that fight that happens, point, what are you talking about? <laughs> Usman's not fighting that guy. Usman would go box Canelo before he fights Hamzad in the octagon. Did you get? Did you catch when? Yeah. That Kamaru Usman has been helping Gilbert Burns train for this fight, <laughs> and I'm like, of, of course he is. Like, of course he yeah. is. Like, this is just. Uh, like Kamaru really doesn't want to fight. No guy. part of I'm, this. Nope. He's, he's gonna he's gonna say like, oh, Gilbert's my brother. You know, we did this together. We've trained. You know, all that. And but we all know, like, bro, you really just don't want to fight Hamzat. Like, let's be real. He would rather fight Colby a third time than fight Hamzat. I guarantee oh, you. Absolutely, absolutely. He would rather fight Colby. He would rather push for Masvidal, Connor. He would rather fight anybody at this point other than um, than Hamza Shemaya. And there's just so much that we don't know about him. You know, it's good that we're finally getting someone in the top in the top five. Gilbert Burns is number two, ranked number two. A lot of UFC experience and uh, a former title challenger. But for me, Hamza is just too like this is uh, the size discrepancy is just too much for me. Uh, I think Gilbert's going to ragdoll him and everyone's going to be like, oh, my God. And, and but for me, I'm just going to be I'm not going to be overly impressed because I'm going to to me, this is. Uh, someone who should be fighting at middleweight, who's probably weighs 190 on fight day, maybe close to 200 pounds, fighting against a, a probably a blown up lightweight. 
All so, I can hear is Colby Covington's voice saying Dilbert Burns, of, uh, he's a lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And that now you got that stuck in my head. Like, that voice is just so annoying. It is. Oh, it's God. so annoying. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, I, I think this is a Hamzat win. He's going to be too big. Yeah, I think this is going to be a, a mauling of sorts. And uh, if the if the hype train wasn't already like full steam ahead for Hamza Chemaev to be fast tracked, like I think this will do it, and there will be an outcry after this fight is over for Hamza Chemaev to be next in line, and uh, for Kamaru to begin the process of uh, somehow avoiding uh, whatever that is. And and look, if Gilbert Burns can push him, that 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 uh, would be pretty interesting. Uh, but I, I mean, I like Gilbert Burns a lot, and I I mean, I picked Gilbert Burns against Kamaru. Uh, yeah. last year in, in their fight. I, I thought that he matched up with him really well, but I like Chemaev is like Khabib, but with like a more violent type of approach to it. Right. Like that's, yeah. it, it's like, it's just this suffocating style, but like, it's a little bit more violent, which is crazy to, to think about. And you get the impression that he's more skilled on the feet than Khabib was, which it's like, how is that even possible to be? Like, that's a dangerous human being. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, we've been seeing so much of this love fest with him and Darren Till. You kind of forget how violent the guy is. But, like, this is a very, very scary individual yeah. um, when, he gets out, when he gets out there, when he gets in there. He's very scary. I mean, he, this is a guy who, who carried Lee Jing Liang over to the corner where Dana White was. <laughs> Was literally having a conversation with Dana White while beating Lee Jin Liang's face in and choking him unconscious. Yeah, so like, this, this is your guy. This is your guy. Smash his face. Yeah, like, like seriously, come on, man. Like, this is a scary, scary guy. But I will say this: What, what was I saying all up up to this point? I needed Leon Edwards to get this fight with Kamaru Usman yes, signed. Yes, sealed. They needed a date. Like that fight needed to be, you know, contract. But, like that. That needed to be completely 1000% booked before this fight. Yeah. The fact that it's not Leon Edwards should be very, very concerned right now. Yeah. Very, very concerned because one of two things is probably going to happen with the Hamza Shamayev win. Either Hamza is going to get a title shot or Hamza is going to be booked to fight Leon Edwards. I mean, the fact that this fight, they were supposed to fight Usman, already. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that this fight with Usman and Leon is not booked. There should be Leon should have red flags surrounding, you know, like everywhere. Like he's like red flags everywhere because this is not good for Leon. He needed to have yeah. this fight booked. The fact that it's not, it's terrible for him. I know Dana kind of said like, or not kind of Dana did say Leon's he next did. and like, congratulations to Leon. Like he deserves this, but like that, that shit's meaningless. If Hamzat <laughs> goes out there and just mauls Gilbert Burns and the that's whole world enough. is like, Leon Edwards, who Nate Diaz about took out in the 25th minute, or Hamza right. Chimaev, give us Chimaev. Like, nobody's going to want to see that fight. What This is what I'm kind of thinking is going to happen. Uh, you know, of course, Dana White said that Leon is absolutely next because he was in the UK. That's where Leon yeah. Edwards is from. If he didn't say that, Dana White might not have made it out of the UK. So, I think it's going to happen. I think that, it, especially if Hamza wipes the floor with Gilbert Burns, I think that Kamaru Usman's going to have a setback in his recovery from his hand surgery. And we're going to see Leon and Hamza fight. I mean, the fact that this fight isn't booked, uh, I mean, I, I just don't see that fight happening anymore. Kamaru and, and Leon. It, I, it's almost non-existent to me. 
Well, I really wanted Hamzad and Leon in December of 2020. I really wanted it. We talked about it. I was geeked. I don't want it anymore. (laughs) If Hamzad beats Gilbert Burns in round one, I want Hamzad Usman. I don't want Hamzad Leon. No. I'm I'm, I'm telling you, this is what's going to (laughs) happen. Kamaru's going to have a setback with his hand, and he's going to make those two fight. That just makes a ton of sense right now. Um, Ah, yeah. Yeah. This fight isn't booked... Poor Leon is all I'm going to say. I've, I've been saying poor Leon for the last two years, and I'm going to say it again. Poor Leon. Yeah, and I think Hamzad is a horrible matchup for him. Uh, horrible absolutely. matchup. Yes. We sure. said it in 2020. Like, horrible matchup. That's not a good matchup for you. Yeah, so. and, and, and Leon hasn't, has, has fought five rounds against Nate Diaz, which, you know, he looked great in uh, up until the last minute. But outside of that, Leon hasn't been, pretty, hasn't been that active for the last two years, and and Hamza continues to just take this sport by storm. Yeah, this is it's a terrible matchup for for Leon, man. Terrible. Or I can I can see a situation where Hamza gets the title shot, and I mean I guess if Usman's able to finally sign off on it with, without any sort of other stuff going on. But Dana's like, yeah, I mean Leon was next, but I, I don't know what happened. I, deal didn't get done, and I mean what happened with the deal? You guys know what happened with that? I don't know what happened with the deal, but nobody oh, signed I, the deal. So bro, like, I, I hate when he does that. He literally, he will look over here like they really have the answer. He'll look over to them like, yeah, you, y'all, y'all, you guys, are like, you guys know what? No, I don't know what happened. Anyway, yeah, he, it was there for Leon and he didn't take it. So now we're at Hamzat. Yeah. Like, that's how he'll yeah. do it. Exactly. He's going to blame it all on Leon. <laughs> like, Leon hasn't been begging for this fight for the last two years. <laughs> oh, man, I definitely can see this. Oh, man. Man. And he's going to say, like, this is a fight that the fans want to see. Uh, like, the demand for Hamzat is so high. Um we, there's a there's a YouTube video of, of one of the embeddings that, that uh, Hamzat's on, and it did 10 million views. So? <laughs> so fucking what? <laughs> so what, man? Shit. Give me on the damn time. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. Oh, I'm dead. You're right, though. It's, they're pre- probably just going to make them fight each other, and it... it uh... It solves the problem itself while also giving Kamaru more time off, which he wants anyway. So, it, it, the only thing that it really does is it takes out one of these two tough matchups for Kamaru, and he can yeah. only focus on one. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well, our co-main event finally: Aljamain Sterling and Pewter Yawn in what uh, is the deepest division in the UFC, the bantamweight division, loaded with killers. Finally, we're going to have an undisputed champion. Uh, Peter Yawn has been sensational. I, I think we both picked Aljamain Sterling in the first fight, uh, and obviously everybody knows the story now with the uh, the illegal knee and Aljo uh, getting the belt from Yawn uh, in that fashion, and a lot of people disagree with the way that ultimately everything went down, but, uh, I mean, it's been a war on Twitter, I feel like, every day since that point, and uh, Peter Yawn's coaches aren't, weren't able to make it over, but... No, no cause for concern. It doesn't sound like from Peter Yon's side, he's he's just ready to rock and roll. So finally, the bantamweight champion will be decided. Peter Yon is a minus five hundred favorite, plus three fifty for Aljo. Now, before I make my pick, I gotta say that that line is disrespectful. I get it. Peter Yon has been doing great. He he was winning. He was about to probably win a decision. But I took the liberty of watching the fight, the first fight, before we started this podcast. Aljo, for how sloppy that it looked and how um, frantic the pace was, 
I mean, he probably might have took the first two rounds. But he was close. It, it did look like the, the energy bar was, I mean, it was gone. Like, there was nothing left. Hanging like, by a thread, yeah. Ha- literally hanging by a thread. Uh, it's, the four, it's the end of the fourth round. This is a round that Peter Young was dominant in, and I didn't see the anything changing in the fifth round. But Aljo did do some some pretty interesting things. He did do some good things, but he did do a lot of sloppy things. He did land some some nice knees in the first in the first round. But then in the second round, he just kept trying to do spinning stuff and and high high kicks and all the stuff that's just gonna drain your gas tank. And like Peter Yan is always in this defensive shell, and it doesn't really seem like m- many of these shots are are really having an effect on him. So I guess that makes Aljo want to throw more and be more active and stay on him. But like Peter Yan is just like collecting data, and then he knows when to turn it up. But I say that to say like. If Aljo was to clean up his his style or how he approached the fight, I do feel like this fight could be very close. You know, maybe use some wrestling. I do think this fight could be very close. But I do think that Peter Yan, his IQ, his defense, his skill, uh, I do think he's at another level right now. But I do think that Aljo has a path, potentially, if he uses his wrestling way more than he did in the first fight. So Peter Yan's my pick, but I do think this line here, this minus 500, is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, it's minus 500 and plus whatever that would be. Plus 350. Plus 350? Like, come on. Like, like, we're forgetting because of the neck injury and because of the way that he became champion. We're forgetting what Aljo did on the way to to this moment. Like, he beat Corey Sanhagen in one round he he's beaten Pedro Munoz like he's been unbeaten for uh for a long long time up to this point so I do think we're disrespecting Aljo but Peter Yan's my pick but I do expect this fight to be a really close uh really close fight I picked Aljo in the first fight and I felt good about it like I was confident in picking Aljo like I liked the pick a lot uh and then seeing that first round, how, like I think fr- I think you used the word frantic. I like that. That probably is the best description of of what he did. It was so weird. It was just like yeah. it, it felt like he wasn't confident, and it, it was either the situation was too big, or the opponent was something that he just didn't feel good about. But whatever it was, it was just like he wasn't confident in himself, so he just got like wild, right? Like it was like. Just it was so bizarre. Like I don't even know like the best way to describe it, but it was just like so all over the place. And like, what the fuck is happening? Like I don't, I don't, I don't even know what he's trying to do here. But it's just like this wild output. He drains his own gas tank without accomplishing a whole lot. I mean, I think he won the first round just simply because of output. But like, nothing was really accomplished other than he drained his own gas tank, and then that was like it. And then he was just like, then he was still frantic, but he had no energy the rest of the way, and it just felt pretty easy for Pewter Yawn. And, like, I agree that I think he's probably watched that fight a million times since then, and he's taken a lot of shit for the way that he got the belt because of the, the illegal knee, and people don't consider him to be a real champion, or a lot of people don't, because of the way that he got the belt. And, like, I, I know that he's downloaded all of that and assessed his performance and probably on some level said, like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, why was I so chaotic? At the same time, though, like... He was chaotic for a reason. 
And I don't know if that's like, if that was pewter yawn and that's why he was chaotic or what the situation was. But like, I, I don't think like he just thought like all of a sudden, like I'm going to surprise him or whatever. Like I feel something dictated that. And I kind of feel like it's pewter yawn and not really knowing the best way to attack him because in the first fight, I thought Aljo's wrestling was the difference as well. I think what we've discovered though, at the same time is pewter yawn's defense is just phenomenal. And if that's not really a great option, like, what are you left with? Like, he's a world-class boxer. He has great defense and, like, great stamina. And, yeah, I think we're kind of left with just being fucking wild and seeing what happens, right? Which is what, what that first round was. So I, it's kind of a weird dynamic for me with this one, uh, especially after that first fight, which was just so mind-blowing to watch the way that Aljo approached it. I think he will be more calculated and more reserved, but I, I think Pewter Yon's just too good. So Pewter Yon for me. Man, if I were his coach, which I'm not a coach, uh, this is just me, you know, BSing, I guess. Yeah. But he's, he is a, he is a wrestler. Aljamain Sterling is a wrestler. He's got a wrestling base. That's what he became into this sport as. I, Peter Yan, when it comes to striking, I don't think that there's anybody in this division that, that has anything for him. But I do think for as long as Aljo is standing, he needs to throw feints. And he didn't throw any feints. He was just throwing punches, and Peter Yan is just—he's got—he's in his defensive shell. He's yeah. not going—you know—none of these shots are really landing clean or anything. Aldo needs to throw feints. He needs to kick because I really see Peter Yan trying to take Aldo down like that. I mean, I think Aldo should throw kicks because he was throwing some nice kicks uh, in this fight. Throw kicks. Don't be so sloppy. Faint, and when the opportunity comes to to get the takedown, go for the takedown. Yeah. Um, but when, when, when you have a Peter Yan who's just kind of stalking you in his defensive shell, but you just know he's going to open up at any point, I guess there, there, there's, I guess there's a reason why you don't really know how to attack him, like you're saying. So I guess that is why Aljo probably was frantic and everything, but I, I don't know what the best recipe is to attack out or uh, to attack him, but if you have that wrestling style, you need to use that as much as possible. That's yeah. Aljo definitely needs to wrestle. I mean, what Aljo did in the first fight was like the equivalent in a basketball game of like dribbling it between your legs like six times in a row and then doing some spins and then like pump faking nine times in a row and then doing a cartwheel and a hook shot from midcourt and hoping that it goes in for the game winning score. And you're like, what the fuck was that? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> that's not even basketball. Yeah. Like, that, that's kind of the way I felt. It was just so... I, like, I, I wish I could have recorded my face watching that because I was so confident that Aljo was going to win. And then watching that first round, I was just like... That's not... Huh? That's not Aljo. <laughs> what, what, what is this? It was so weird. Yeah, yeah that, that wasn't the guy who, who, uh, who, we had, who we had seen go on this run. I mean... When he choked out Corey Sanhagen, I was like, yeah, that guy's a future champion. Because yeah. nobody was doing that to Corey Sanhagen up to that point. Uh, for him to completely shut down Sanhagen and finish him like that, I was like, okay, Aljo is really coming into his own. So I do feel like Aljo might still have that guy in him. But that that night, man, his eyes, like, his eyes looked really, really big. I mean, he just didn't look sure of himself. He didn't look confident. Normally, he's just in there. He's flowing and everything. He's throwing, you know, his unorthodox striking and mixing in takedowns and stuff. But that wasn't the same guy in that first fight. Yeah. I think if he comes back and, uh, you know, finds his swag again, I do feel like this will be a completely different fight. 
But I will say this one this one thing before we move on about Peter Yan. I do expect him to to probably not um be so patient in the first round. I do feel like he will probably turn it up a little bit. Interesting. Maybe not be completely like overly aggressive or anything trying to finish him, but I do feel like he won't be as labor back as he has been in his uh previous fights. Yeah, I, I kind of like for me knowing how much Aljo drained his own gas tank in the first round, like I would probably to some degree sit back to see if, if he was going to attempt that again. Cause then you just pounce and, and I mean, he was going to run away with that victory last Like we said, oh, just yeah. hanging on by a thread. So <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I mean, just like this, the most fascinating part of this fight to me might just be like the approach of Aljo as, as this fight begins and, and what we see. Uh, so anyway, Pewter Yawn minus 500. We both pick Pewter Yawn. Which takes us to the main event of the night for the featherweight championship. It is Alexander Volkanovsky and the Korean Zombie. Uh, Will, so we had Hamzat Shemaev at minus 600. We had Peter Yan at minus 500. Any idea what Volkanovsky is favored by? So you said Hamzat was minus 600 and... Um, Peter Yan minus, Peter 500. minus 500. I'm going in the middle. Uh, uh, Volkanovsky is a minus 550. Volkanovsky minus 800... Korean Zombie <laughs> plus 550. So your Whoa. three main fights on this pay-per-view card, the favorites are minus 600, minus 500, minus 800. But these are all so... <laughs> all three of these fights are so intriguing, but man, that is so crazy. Minus 800. Golly. Well, okay, I'll say this. Um... Off the bat, Volkanovski's my pick. I mean, I think that's pretty simple. Yeah. But I, I do think that the the term of, uh, of the quote of styles make fights, I do think that that's very, um, a very worthy quote in this fight because I do think that while Volkanovski is way more skilled, I do think that the Korean zombie presents a style that could be very interesting for, for Volk. Um, you know, when if it's if it's a fight of skill and IQ and and durability, heart, all that stuff, Volkanovski is going to win this. But if this becomes like a a war, I'm not going to say a sloppy war, but like a knockdown, drag out, anything happens, it's either you or me. The Korean Zombie could win this, yeah. you know, because he's got the power. But um, I don't know, man. I think it's interesting that he went to go train with Henry Cejudo, so who knows what his approach is going to be, how how it's going to differ from his other fights. But what it comes down to for me is, you know, the skill of both the IQ, and then, you know, I saw the Korean zombie beat Dan Ige. That didn't really do too much for me. Showed off and the ground I, game in that fight, though, which, yeah, you know, I, I mean, think yeah. was nice to I, see. He did, show off the ground, he did show off the ground game. Um, but, I, you know, Volk always says before all of his fights they're gonna fight my fight and he that's been that's been true for everybody max aldo chad mendez brian ortega all those guys they weren't able to really do what they do best against volk so the the win over dan Ige in terms of fighting volkanovsky didn't really do too much for me and then i can't get that ortega fight out of my head i feel like ortega really you know had his way with clinic with, uh, with yeah with uh Korean zombie and uh we saw what Volkanovski did I hate to do MMA math but yeah you know I mean I just can't get that fight out of my head so uh 
I do think that the the line here might be a little excessive. I mean, minus five fifty probably would have did it for me, but you know, I, I understand. I guess yeah. I understand, but I do think that's a little disrespectful. But yeah, my pick is uh, is Volk. It's gonna be Volk for me as well, and I, I guess I, I'm with you. Like I, I like you said, the Ortega fight for Korean Zombie, like. He was just so outclassed from a skill yeah. standpoint that, like like you said, the approach here has to be completely different because that exact same thing, if not worse, is going to happen if that's the approach you have with Volk. Whereas, like, I, I, I'm not saying that Korean Zombie is a better fighter than Max, but he has more power than Max. And where Max can go forward against Volk, but maybe there's not the threat of a KO because Max doesn't beat you that way, right? It's an accumulation as opposed to, like, the one-punch power like Korean zombie can go forward and get into that type of fight, but maybe get results quicker uh, because of, of the, the power that he has on his side. And look, I think that's where he's at his best, right? Like his nickname is Korean zombie. You just need to be a zombie and go forward, get into yeah. the war, bring Volk to your level. Don't let him, you know, stylistically just outclass you. And yeah, I hope that your power is, you know, you're able to land a big shot. But I mean, if you're going into this, I think in any other way than, this is going to be an all-out slugfest, and and you know you're. I think you you've already lost because you're approaching it in a way where you're completely playing into his advantage. So, yeah, I mean, I I know that fighters a lot of times say you only have so many wars you want to try to avoid those, but I mean when you have these opportunities, the war for for zombie I think in this specific matchup is the path, and that's it. Yeah, if if, if it's clean, Volk is is walking away with this. He's fifty forty five, right? It's yeah, easy. Yeah, but if it's dirty. He needs to make it dirty because that's when he has a, a chance. You know, that's when anything could happen. And if you're a Korean zombie, what do you have to lose? Like, you're a plus five. What is it? He's a plus. Plus 500. You're a plus 500. Everyone thinks you're going to lose anyway. What do you have to lose? Go out there and, and make it dirty. Make it a slugfest. Make it a war. Make Volkanovsky have to uh, fight uh, outside of himself. Um, make Volkanovski have to bring that dog out of him like he did against Ortega. You know, Ortega didn't have the um, wasn't able to sustain it, but he he brought the dog out of Volkanovski. So with with Korean Zombie having the power that he has, if I'm him, I'm making this dirty. I don't got nothing to lose. If I don't, if I lose this fight, I, I may not be able to get back to it. But I have this opportunity. I have to make the most of it. I have to make this fight dirty. If I'm him, I'm going after Volk. I knew we were we were going to be on the same side of the final three fights on this card. And again, the odds show why, right? Here's probably the more interesting question. In those three fights, which fight is most likely to have an upset in order to the least likely to have an upset in your mind? So most likely, of course, is Aljo for me. That's easy. Okay. Um, second, because... Um, because of the uh, way that this fight could be dirty, I think uh, Korean Zombie, you know, he might can get a knockout. But, you know, with, with Gilbert and Hamzat, like, there's still so much that we don't know. We only know what we know. And from what we know, Hamzat is, a, is an assassin. And we don't know, like, we don't know, we don't know anything else. We don't know what it looks like for Hamzat to face adversity or for him to get, to get hit. We don't know what that's like. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, um, as much as I would love to see Gilbert do some do something with with Hamza, make it make it interesting. I think he's I think Hamza's gonna wipe the floor with him. 
It's the same order for me. Yeah. I mean, I think Hamzad is uh, the heavy. Like, if I were putting odds on it, I think Hamzad would be my heaviest favorite. Uh, Jan would be my least heavy favorite of the three. And then the Korean zombie, Volk, in the middle. Yeah. Again, just, I mean, a middleweight and a lightweight. Again, I can, all I can hear is Colby Covington calling him Dilbert Burns and calling him a lightweight. But uh, yeah, and, and just stylistically, like, I think Gilbert plays right into his hands to some degree. So. I, it's crazy. I am so excited for this main card, and it's why, like, rarely is it for me, at least, this exciting when, like, maybe the top three fights, feel, like, to some degree, even if it's just the odds, feel like they're that one-sided. But uh, I think either way, there's there's plenty of exciting narratives and storylines and and uh, things to watch out for in all three of those fights. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I think this whole card is is pretty solid, but these top three fights, I mean, definitely all, all are are pay per view worthy. And Hamzad is as big of a star uh, at this point as as anybody in the entire UFC. Um, maybe outside of you know like the the big big guns, but yeah. you know, of course, you know, like people are tuning into this to this card to really see Hamzad and to see what what he's gonna do. So. Um, I'm very interested to see if Gilbert Burns can can weather the storm, make it interesting, stop a takedown, put Rap Hamza in, in a submission. Like, can, can he hit him? You know, like yeah. what can what can Gilbert do with Hamza? But um, and then Aljo and Peter Yan. I mean, I, I still can't get over those odds, but I still think that these are the two best bantamweights right now, and. I do think Peter Yan is the best, but I do think we're disrespecting Aljo a little bit with these with this line. Uh, but I do think we'll see a very close fight uh, where both guys are going to have to make adjustments. Um, I think we'll, we'll see a really good, fun, stylistic matchup. And then, of course, Vulcan and Korean Zombie. I mean, make it dirty, Zombie. Yeah. Like, you're the Korean Zombie for a reason. Make it dirty, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it, yeah. Just I, I just don't want to see 25 minutes of, like, trying to yeah. be calculated and like that, that, yeah. that's going to be a 50 45 and it's just going to be like seriously like that yeah i'm sure that up to that point we will have seen like a pretty interesting night of fights like we'll probably be at the main event we'll probably be exhausted from what we've seen yeah like i'm sure that that co-main event will be great hamzat will have electrified the crowd so we don't want to see a lackluster main event like we want to see a main event that's going to deliver and I do feel like these two have a style, like their styles could make for a really fun fight, but it, I think it just depends on what, what zombie we see. We are recording this on April 6th. Tomorrow is April 7th. Will, do you know what happens one month from tomorrow? Uh, May 7th. Oh, that's, uh, Gaethje Oliveira. Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira <laughs> for the lightweight championship. I am stoked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, a month out, you're that stoked. <laughs> yeah. You know what's happening in a month? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. That whole card is going to be stacked. I mean, looking at even some of those other fights, I mean, I, I don't have the card in front of me, but I looked at that card from, like, top to bottom, and there's some really, really fun matchups uh, on that card, even outside of the three uh, the three main ones. That yeah. fight that fight is going to be great. Yeah, the poster fights, obviously, are, are Charles and Justin, Rose and Carla, and then uh, Chandler and Ferguson. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of good fights uh, littered throughout that thing. But yeah, I mean, Justin Gaethje getting to fight for the lightweight championship. Sign me up, brother. Sign me up. I can't wait. 
to see, to see Justin back in a, in a championship setting, it's going to be awesome, man. With a crowd. I mean, the crowd, the, the how he's grown, and then Charles, like, that's got all the makings of a, of a, of a war. I can't wait. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Going to be awesome. All right, my friend, we are on the opposite side of uh, Tisha Torres, Mackenzie Dern, as well as Marcin Tabura and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So points available, overtake perhaps could happen, or big lead extension. We will find out on Saturday night. Enjoy the fights, my friend, and great to see your face again. You know, I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be pretty mad if if we get to this show next week and I'm down because you're like, you know what? Let, let, let's do Jarzinho and let's do Marcin Tabura, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna pick Tibera, thinking <laughs> that you are gonna pick Tibera, but you went with Jarzinho. So I'm gonna be really, I'm gonna be really upset if I'm if I'm down next week. So I'm gonna be like, damn, I I fell for the trap, even though I really wasn't. A trap. I almost picked something else because I was like, <laughs> no, nah, we're both gonna pick Jarzinho, and then like. <laughs> I was like, well, that's, I mean, that one makes the most sense. And then you took to beer and I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I might have trapped myself just thinking yeah. too much. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be upset. I think I'm, you are I, thinking too much, but I, I, we'll see. We'll see. If, if I'm able to, if I'm able to extend my lead, I'll be pretty proud of myself. But right now I'm a little worried, but there you go. we'll see. We'll see what happens. There you go. All right, buddy. Uh, enjoy the week. Enjoy Saturday and uh, we'll do it again next week. Sure. Podcast is over.